Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Tonight, man, this is it. We are quite literally nearing the end of the road for the 2022 NBA draft cycle. If you listen to the episode that we dropped yesterday, I'm recording this on June 20th. If you listen to the episode that would have come out on June 20th, you would have heard me go through not only just some of my final big board rankings for the 2022 NBA draft, but also a breakdown of how I've done my tiers. And that led to me having some excellent philosophical discussions with Coach Adam Spinella over at the Box and One. That was a big board-centric podcast, but tonight it's a mock draft podcast, baby. And living up to the tradition that I started last year, I, I think this is an excellent yearly tradition for me to move forward and do while going over my final GM-style mock draft where I make all 30 selections in the first round based on how I would draft. We're not basing this off Intel. We're not basing this on projections or predictions. This is what I would do. There is no one better to join me to go through this exercise than NBA draft historian, founder of the draft review, Matt Maurer. Matt, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, you guys? I appreciate you guys having me back. I always look forward uh, to talking with you guys. I mean, this is this is what we do, man. This is this is quite literally what we do. Matt joined me for this mock draft podcast right before the draft last year. He was on the draft show, the live stream that we did here at Draft Deeper. So he's once again back at the perfect time of the year. He's tired. I'm tired. I don't care, though, and I know he doesn't care. We're still grinding. We're still trying to get everything right for this draft. So, Matt, before we get into the specifics of my mock and we start breaking it down a little bit pick by pick, you're grinding out the tape. You've been grinding out the tape. And because you have perspective, because you've been cataloging and reviewing every single draft, what is your perspective on this draft class because last year when I asked you that question you got to give a very positive answer because it was a quote-unquote better draft class at least that's how it was projected before the actual draft happened than in previous years and I think that played out during a lot of the course of everyone's rookie years and now this year you might have a little bit of a different answer for (laughs) me based on what we were talking about before we started recording so what are just some of your general thoughts and overview on this 2022 NBA draft class? Yeah, I, I think this draft class is going to have a surprise. I think we're all sitting here burning the midnight oil, trying to get the best possible uh, prospects on our boards. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that out of the 58 players selected in this draft, somebody's going to be selected and we're going to say, I didn't have him in my top 75 board. Or I know it's going <laughs> to be a pick out of left field that's going to shock us. Um, I just think that this draft is – is it's not as talent heavy. It just isn't. I mean, there's a huge talent, I think, with the big four with Jabari, Chet, uh, Paolo, and Jaden. And then it kind of starts to really get weak, and then it just falls precipitously at the end. Um, I think, you know, there's probably going to be a guy that, you know, we're all, um, I say, like a second-round guy. Like, I'm, I'm in love with uh, Prochita. I think he's a great yeah, value long-term pick. Um, I think he's a guy that some GM is going to, if they're smart, I think they, they take him in the first round. But if he gets into the second round, I think he's going to have great value long-term. Um, I just think this is a long-term draft, if that makes sense. I think there's going to be guys that 
when they get selected, they may not have any real spark their rookie year, but by the time their career is over, we're going to say, you know, that was a pretty good pick. So I just don't, I don't think there's going to be huge fireworks in the beginning of this draft class, but hopefully after the end of their careers, we'll all look back at this draft and we'll say, you know, that draft was better than advertised. It's really interesting when you say, when you dub that it could be a long-term view draft, because I've kind of felt the same way over the last few months. One of the things I've repeated multiple times on this podcast feed is that I, I think some team or a group of teams are really going to strike gold in that 25 through 40 range in the draft. And Prachita, speaking of Gabriel Prachita, he's one of those guys that kind of falls in that, in that 25 to 40 range. And that's, that's just how I feel. We, we know some of the top talents that are going to be near the top end of the draft and in the lottery. Once you get to like that mid first round range through towards the end of the first round, there are, a number of really interesting guys that we can talk about. And I'm sure a number of those names are going to come up during the course of this mock draft exercise, but still a lot of question marks, right? Whereas some guys have fallen in like that 25 to 45 range from where they were preseason where, yeah, they didn't have some of the best freshman years or we still have some glaring questions about them, but they still possess interesting upside and can still develop into becoming good players should they go to the right system and the right fit for them. So I'm that that's where I'm going to be really interested to watch on draft night, that 25 through 45 stretch, who actually goes in that range, who are making some of those picks, which teams are going to become rich on draft night. And, and yeah, we know there's going to be some surprises, man. It, it, is there, do you think there's going to be a surprise that lives up to when you were doing shots on my live stream, when Josh Primo got selected at 12 by the Spurs. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> I think I, I know it's going to happen. Cause I think um, as we got more information about the Josh Primo pick, um, you know, they wanted to trade down. Um, that was kind of talked about, but they didn't have a partner to trade down with. So, you know, I had a little bit okay with what they did there with that, but that was, yeah, that's certain. I mean, I think we all had Primo going late first. Um, and some even had him going early second. I think we were one of the smarter ones had him late first. Um, but we didn't expect him to go that high. No. And uh, that, that was like totally out of left field. So I have no doubt there's going to be somebody who we all think is a late first, early second round guy. And we're going to see them shoot up and we're going to be like, wow, didn't see that coming. So let's let's talk out my GM style mock draft for the 2022 NBA draft cycle. Let's talk this out. Let's see if maybe I made one of those picks in my mock draft that you weren't expecting to see. Maybe we have some agreements, some of disagreements. Let's let's walk through it. And obviously, Matt, we have to start at the very top. The Orlando Magic, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets. We think we think we know who those top three picks are going to be. If I were the Orlando Magic, I would take Chet Holmgren number one overall. He is the best player available on my personal big board. And when you're drafting near the top, you have to be in BPA mode. You have to be star hunting. You can't just draft for fit or you think some guy's going to fit better with some of the personnel that you have because these are bad teams that we're talking about. At the end of the day, they don't have the requisite talent to compete for a championship. So you don't know how many of these guys are even going to be on your roster like two to three years down the road. So 
you got to take who in your mind is the best player available. So if I'm doing this GM style, if I'm in charge for Orlando, I'm taking Chad Holmgren. Number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder, given how the board would now fall if Chad was off the board, I would actually take Paolo Bancaro. I, I have Paolo as the number two prospect on my board. I think if you dropped him in Oklahoma City, some of those passing situations would be really fascinating you could have the ball moving between sga giddy and then you throw powell in there that offense could be absolutely dynamic and then the houston rockets in this situation how my board would fall would get somebody who may end up going number one to the orlando magic on draft night that would be jabari smith out of auburn would give them immediately an awesome shooting weapon off the catch Maybe not as dynamic of an offensive player off the bounce, but they still have Jalen Green. They have Kevin Porter Jr. They have Josh Christopher still developing in the backcourt. You have some other guys there that can make things happen. Alper and Shangoon can get the ball out of the post. There's Barry Smith on the wing. He would find a home right away, and he would bring them some of that defensive tenacity, that toughness, that nastiness that you didn't really see from a young team last year. So that's how the first three picks would fall in my eyes. If I were selecting these players, Matt, what do you think about the top three? Who who would your top three be? What does your board kind of look like at the top this year? You know, shockingly, I maybe I'm bucking uh, what the talking heads have, but in my power forward rankings, I actually have it exactly like you have it there for the top three. Okay. Um, you know, I think this thing about Chet that seems to, I don't know where it's come from. I don't know if it's because, you know, there's just this, anti-Chet sentiment that's kind of carried on. But I think what people don't understand about Chet is Gonzaga did him no favors offensively. Yes. The offensive force in that team, or should I say the coaching staff's vision was to have everything run through Drew, Drew Timmy. And essentially Chet was on the outside and really had to make Drew Timmy do well and just kind of move his guy away from Drew Timmy. So I think in that scenario, I think people don't understand. We didn't really get the chance to see. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to see Chet really in his in all his glory. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know why everybody is so rebellious about him. I think I think it's a misunderstanding of how Chet plays. If anybody's seen him in AAU or even when he played in high school, you know that the Chet we saw in Gonzaga was kind of, um, you know, kind of nerfed a little bit. He didn't really get a chance to really show his true skills. Um, Paulo. I like him. If if you could talk me out of that number two pick, I might take Jabari if the argument is good. Uh, Paolo, the only thing that worries me about Paolo is sometimes he seems to coast. I did like what I was seeing in the NCAA tournament where he looked a lot more hungry, looked a lot more aggressive. Um, I don't think you can go wrong with Jabari either. either. I mean, he's just – he was great at Auburn. Um, and, and, you know, is it just me or – I think the last time was 2013 when the number one team, we didn't know what the pick was going to be. And that was Anthony Bennett when Cleveland took him. It just, it's weird. Like no one knows what Orlando is going to do with this pick right now. Oh, that Matt, don't even put that thought in my head, man. That that's, that's a scary scenario where I, I think this draft's going to turn out better at the top than that one did, but that, <laughs> that that's probably that probably is the last time because even like the year after that, 2014, we kind of Joel Embiid was projected to be the number one pick for Salon, but then the injuries took over to where Andrew Wiggins was kind of like that next man up in terms of who we thought would actually go number one. So yeah, when we look back at it, mystery number one picks 
all the way up to draft day, yeah, you probably have do have to go back that far. But I I would certainly rate all three of these players higher uh, on a big board than I would Anthony Bennett. So hopefully we we get better results at the top of the draft. But I agree with you. I agree with everything you said about Chet Holmgren. Um, we did not see the full scope of his offensive package and what he can bring to the game from that standpoint. At Gonzaga, he was a play finisher. He was a garbage man. It, I, I've said this so many times, and I will keep saying it until we finally see him on an NBA floor. If he would have gotten the same offensive opportunities that Chet got, that Paolo got, to, to catch the ball sort of in the same places on the court, I wonder if we'd be having a different conversation about his offense. And if we'd be having a different conversation at this point, if he would be the surefire number one overall pick on, on everybody's big boards, on everybody's mock drafts, I, I really do wonder that. But I'm glad to hear that we have this same three up to this point. Sacramento, Matt, we know is where it gets interesting. And mm-hmm. man, you've gotten to chronicle a lot of these drafts where Sacramento has just flat out gotten it wrong. I, I would truly hope they wouldn't get it wrong again, but we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know if they're going to keep the pick and make it. And even in that scenario, we don't really have a, a good idea of who they're going to take based on some of the buzz we've heard, some of the workouts. We don't know if they're going to trade the pick. I mean, the hottest rumor today was they could be looking to swap the pick with the Atlanta Hawks for, for John Collins or some, some sort of deal like that that brings in a veteran to fit the quote-unquote win-now mentality behind – pairing Demonis Sabonis with De'Aaron Fox and some of the other pieces on that roster. I don't know what the Kings are going to do. All I can say is if I were the Sacramento Kings, I understand wanting to possibly draft Keegan Murray because he could be a better fit alongside those two players, but he's not who I would have ranked as the best player available behind those three. That would be Jay Nivey. And I just come back to it. The more I think about it, the more I think they're not going to take Jane Ivey because that's just what the Sacramento Kings have historically done. They've historically passed on the best talent still left on the board to try and mix and match and fill different gaps. And if they take player X, then maybe they can make the playoffs or at this point now they'd be trying to make the play. And like, that's the kind of short-term goal or vision that they have consistently year over year. I would take Jay Nivey. What, what would you do, Matt, if you were advising the Sacramento Kings? What would you do and, and tell them to do with the fourth overall pick? I would run to the podium and take Jay Nivey. Okay. <laughs> run. So we're four for four. <laughs> yeah. So why, why would you tell them to run to the podium and take Jay Nivey? I just think Jaden is probably the, less, the, the last best player available that, that's in that tier. You know, I mean, you got like, I'd probably put Chet, and Paolo in tier one, I'd probably have Jabari and Jaden Ivey in, in tier two. I think he's just BPA to me, best player available. I think he's dynamic. I think he get, he gets to the rim. Um, there's a lot of things that I think Jaden Ivey will fit well with De'Aaron Fox. I think you've you got an athletic backcourt that could be scary. Um, I just think Jaden Ivey just represents to me what Sacramento – needs which is some star power and and more importantly just excitement i mean the kings are already one of the fastest teams in the nba um i just think adding another dynamic piece like that will will do wonders i do not buy into the theory that for some reason there's this odd thought process that Jaden ivy is going to be a point guard um he hasn't shown that at purdue 
I, I think he's more best fit for the uh, off guard position. I think he can do point guard and spot up, but I don't think that's really what his future is going to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Jaden Ivey for them. So we're four for four in what you and I would do. I, I, I think that those are the consensus top four guys in the draft. And despite there being some mystery around that fourth slot and a lot of mock draft scenarios, you and I are in agreement. We're in lockstep. It should be Jay Ivey who goes at four. So in this scenario, then we kind of get to an interesting point where the Detroit Pistons could go a number of directions at five, depending on who's the best player on your board, what their long-term outlook is, who they envision being that next man next to Cade Cunningham for the foreseeable future. If I were in charge of the Detroit Pistons and this is how the draft ended up falling with those four guys off the board, my next best player available would be Keegan Murray. And in that same vein, I think he does continue to check a number of good boxes for the Pistons. He provides Cade with another offensive player who he might not be dynamic in terms of creating his own shot off the dribble, but he's very smart. He's one of the smartest players we have in this draft class. He knows how to get to his spots and make the most of taking the space and taking advantage of when he does get to his spots. He's crafty. He can shoot the ball. And he's one of the more versatile defenders that we have in this draft class, in my opinion, maybe not based on dynamic athleticism, but he's big enough. He's long enough. He's strong enough. And his awareness, his vision, his processing on that end of the floor, to me, really makes him one of the better two-way threats that we have in this draft class with potential offensive upside of that of a Tobias Harris. So those are the reasons why if I were the Pistons, I would go Keegan Murray. If you could, if you had the chance to make the pick for the Pistons, Matt, where would you go? Are are you in agreement that Keegan Murray should be the pick? I, I, so far we're five for five because I have Keegan (laughs) Murray as well. Um, I agree with every point you made. I I think a lot of people have, blown out of proportion the idea that they don't know where he'll play at the next level. I mean, I've heard some people argue that he's a small forward and some people argue he's a power forward. Um, right now, I think the thing most importantly is he's, he's a, just a dynamic shooter. And um, I think that is, and, and he could score. And I think that right there is the, the value that he brings. I I agree 100%. He's going to be one of those instant offense guys for you next to Kate Cunningham in terms of if you get him the ball, if you get him touches where he likes them, he's going to put the ball in the basket at the end of the day. And I don't know. I still don't understand why there's so many questions around that way. People are so unsure about how his scoring package is going to translate. But given what he can do, what he's shown on film, he has that three level scoring potential, even if it's just, if, even if it looks a little bit different than if things hit for like a shade chart, for example, just because it looks different doesn't mean it isn't there. So we're five for five in terms of what we would do. So I'm wondering if this is maybe where we have a little separation, the Indiana Pacers at number six, again, they're just in a position. They have to take the best player available on their board. They can't worry about fit. They have, a new dynamic point guard in the fold and Tyrese Halliburton. You still have Miles Turner there, although he looks to be on, on the shopping block a little bit. Um, you, you still have some interesting pieces that could be brought back. You have some other young guys there like Chris Duarte, um, Isaiah Jackson. There, there are some young pieces there. There are some interesting veterans who aren't that old who could still mix in with whoever they bring into the fold with pick number six. And it could be, 
it could be great in terms of chemistry. It all depends on really which direction they want to go. I would take Johnny Davis here. Johnny Davis is the sixth guy on my personal big board. There's an argument for Dyson Daniels. There's an argument for Benedict Matherin. There is, to an extent, an argument for Shane Sharp, even A.J. Griffin. Any of those wings could be in play for the Indiana Pacers. But Johnny Davis is the guard who I just think being able to play defense the way that he does in the backcourt, covering up some of those weaknesses where Tyrese Halliburton hasn't exactly been so great in the NBA on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I think they complement each other. And just in terms of star upside, again, star hunting near the top end of the lottery, I, I think Johnny Davis still has a chance to be one of those really, really awesome kick-ass number two options in the NBA and has that star potential measures out closer to six, six really reminds me of some of his pull-up game, his craft, his finishing, his underrated passing ability really reminds me of Devin Booker in some of those respects. So that's, that's where I would go at pick number six matter. We, are we still in lockstep or is this where we deviate a little bit? This, this is where we deviate a little bit. <laughs> okay. But you already named the gentleman that I would take here. And that would be Benedict Matherin. I think uh, he's just, I really like what he projects at the next level. I think he has more, a little bit more upside than Johnny. Um, and I just, I really like everything I've seen from him. I just, I like the development. I like things that he changed. It's just, I think it's a great fit for him there. Um, so that, that's where I would go. I would go with uh, Benedict. I'm going to get to Matherin, not, not too long after this pick. Don't worry before I would want to go, but I have, so that's, that's where we differ a little bit. That's perfectly fine. I don't know if we'll, We'll be back in alignment on this next pick, but the Portland Trailblazers are on the clock at number seven. I would take Dyson Daniels if I were the Portland Trailblazers. If this is how the draft fell, I would run up to that podium and take Dyson Daniels if they were to keep the pick again. This is another team that has plenty of different scenarios on the board as far as trades, as far as finding veteran talent to help better complement putting a winning situation around Damian Lillard. If they aren't going to go young player, that's the type of direction they would go. But if they do want to bring in another youngster into the mix, Dyson Daniels checks so many boxes for them. The most important one, Matt, he would just come in and be arguably the best defender that they've had in years. The trailblazers have been notoriously known for not playing defense over the last three to four years. Dyson Daniels is arguably the best one through three defender in this draft class. He would help cover up all of those holes that Damian Lillard doesn't provide on the defensive side of the ball and the perimeter. And then he could help complement Dane. Dyson Daniels can be your secondary playmaker, your pick and roll guy. He can help get Damian Lillard more catch and shoot opportunities, more easy, easy scoring opportunities and take some of the playmaking pressure off of Lillard's shoulders. So I would love the Dyson Daniels favorite. What do you think about the Daniels favorite Portland? Uh, now we're back in lockstep. I have Daniels okay. as well uh, going to Portland. Um, again, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, could challenge on draft night. Maybe it'll surprise some people. I wouldn't be shocked to see him maybe start to have some views in the top five. But for right now, I think he fits nicely with Portland. I think that's a good spot for him. So we're in agreement. This, this next pick has been divisive, to say the least, in the draft community. Matt, I've, I've heard like five to six different names come yep. up in different scenarios for this pick. You could go one of the wings, 
One of the bigs could be in play here. All of a sudden, Jeremy Sohan is starting to get some buzz. Even one of the wings that I have picked a little bit later on in this lottery, Usman Jang has really picked up a lot of steam. I mentioned AJ Griffin's name already. I know Dan Purcell, former New Orleans Pelicans executive, when I had him on the podcast, he didn't love this pick, but I'm still going to make it. This is where I would take Shane Sharp in the lottery because I just, I don't, as much as you can make the argument that New Orleans needs to bring in somebody who can play right now next to the other top offensive options they have on the team in Zion, B.I., and C.J., they have depth virtually everywhere on the team to where this is one of those squads I think could afford to take a swing on a talent like Sharp, who I don't believe is going to be ready to impact at the NBA level in his first year, let him develop, bring him along a little slowly. And then eventually when he has gone through some of that development, when he's gotten some more on court reps in year two with some of these, you know, big pillars to what the team is, is doing for the foreseeable future, you start to see more of that talent ooze out, which he is one of the most naturally gifted players in this draft class. If you could find that fourth star with this pick, I mean, now, now we're really talking about the Pelicans contending for championships, not just contending in the West in the playoffs. And at this point now in the NBA, you have to have as many good players at every single position as possible. And if you can potentially find another great one and take a swing on Shane Sharp right here, I think this is the team, one of the teams, I should say, in the lottery that can afford to do it the most. What do you think about the Sharp pick in New Orleans? I'm actually right there with you. I, I have been going eight as well. Um, I, everything that you said, and I think the one key piece, it's weird. You know, you go on NBA Twitter, draft Twitter, you can tell when you've seen guys that really have seen Shaden Sharp. And you can tell when you've seen guys that maybe have sought a highlight tape of Shaden Sharp. Because the difference is there's a lot more nuance to the game and to the improvements that are needed. When you talk to somebody who hasn't really seen Shaden Sharp, they just give you generalities. Whereas if you talk to somebody who's really watched the A, you know, the AAU times, you know, some of his Dream City Christian school play, you see that there are some things that he really needs to work on. I think given that time period, and as you said, the Pelicans are a team that can afford to give him some of that time to improve ball handling, to improve, you know, um, first step, getting better separation from guys. Uh, those things are going to be vital for him at the next level and going to a team like the Pelicans, I think does afford him that timetable. So we've been, we've been in lockstep for every pick so far, but the Indiana pick. So I'm curious where you would go at number nine for the San Antonio Spurs, because this is where I would take Benedict Mather. And the more I've gone back and forth as to who could be a good fit for the Spurs core, I think it's really been in my mind between him and AJ Griffin, but they both really provide some of the same strengths that I'd be looking for to, to fill out the Spurs roster, which is a ready-made catch and shoot guy with some more on ball creation upside with Matherin. He's ready to come in, hit catch and shoot shots and six, six with length. He would be one of these dynamic wings to where you know what he's going to give you from an offensive standpoint when he comes into the NBA. We know the type of player he could become as he continues to further improve upon the live triple passing improvements he made at Arizona this year. And he gets a little more creative in the pull-up game. That's the type of wing him or A.J. Griffin. I could see one of those two guys really being good fits in San Antonio because San Antonio has – 
plenty of guys that can go make something happen off the dribble, get to the basket, create for others, but they don't have too many pure catch and shoot guys like what Mathur would bring to the table, for example. So he is who I would take at number nine. I'm curious, since you had already had him off of your board and out of your mock draft at six, the Indiana Pacers, who would you take for San Antonio at number nine? Yeah, this is actually where I have Johnny Davis going. I, so, we, I have, so we just flipped two players. That's all we yep, did. <laughs> yep, yep, essentially. Yep. And I, I, you know, my mock that's on my website, that was from 614. I'm in the process of putting together my new one. And then my new one, I have Johnny Davis going nine. Um, I just really, you know, I dug back in the tape, really like a lot of the things I'm seeing from Johnny. And I just think from a culture standpoint, I really think he's going to fit in well at San Antonio. I, I know that they really like him there. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I think, you know, Johnny, it's weird. Johnny's become a guy that, that, that has become argumentative within the draft community world. And it's very funny. You have some that are just heads and shoulders high on him, and you have some that, you know, are so low on him, it's like ridiculous. So uh, I think he's, you know, I think he's a really good fit, and I think he'll be a really good player at the next level. I would agree 100%. I think if Johnny went to the Spurs at nine, he would he would also complement everything that they want to do there. He'd be another guy who can create his own off the bounce. He can set other guys up. Maybe if you have a combination of him and Murray in the backcourt kind of distributing and, and pushing out the ball to where it needs to go, maybe some of these guys who we think are going to improve as catch-and-shoot threats like Devin Vassell, like Josh Primo, maybe they do get better because there's – multiple offensive pieces who can command the attention of the defense and who can also make those kickout reads and get guys the ball where they need it. Maybe Johnny Davis is another one of those pieces who can bring everything together for San Antonio. So that, that leaves a relatively interesting choice to be made for the Washington Wizards at number 10. So other than that one flip, we're, we're, we're pretty close to being nine for nine in terms of what we would do in our mock draft scenarios. You get to the Wizards at 10. I would go A.J. Griffin here. He would be my selection for the Washington Wizards based on how the board has fallen to this point. The, the Wizards have enough forwards. They have enough bigs. I don't foresee any of those guys necessarily being on their way out but they have an opening on the wing and they have an opening at one of the guard spots next to Bradley Beal. Should he remain with the Washington wizards with us? I think everybody fully expects him to sign that five-year extension, whether he asks for a trade um, after next year or after a couple of years that remains to be seen. But I think at least this summer he'll sign that extension. He'll be with the Washington wizards next year. So continuing to try and fill out more of those pieces around him, my best player available in this scenario, if I'm not going forward or big, would be on the wing. It would be A.J. Griffin, who would provide them another catch-and-shoot guy, reliable offense, still can develop into doing more on the ball if some of that athleticism comes back to him, which he's answered in interviews. He's pretty confident he's going to continue to get more of that back that he had in high school and prove that he is closer to that explosive player than the, the guy who we saw struggle at times getting into the paint and dunking and doing all those things he did in high school at Duke. And there, there was questions about his role, his fit with the team. He's still one of the youngest players in this draft class. I think at 10 with the Wizards, you bet on the upside at wing at a position of need with one of the best players available. What, what would you do at 10 now? I actually have Jalen Duren, the local kid. Uh, okay. W I, I think he fits in nicely with Washington. Um, you know, they when Thomas Bryan is out, they, they are noticeably 
they have problems filling that that position adequately. I mean, they've they've got a little bit better getting Gatford, but I just really like what Jalen Dern's value here. I think he's a he's a really good piece for them. So Jalen Dern is actually who I would have going off the board next to the New York Knicks at pick number 11. I think just given what can happen with Mitchell Robinson, the kind of contract that he could command. I don't know about you, Matt. I personally, I don't want to pay Mitchell Robinson 18 to $20 million a year. I think you might have a different opinion on that. I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts about the big man spot for the Knicks and what you think about my pick. But if, if I'm operating under the circumstances, my personal preference that I don't think Mitchell Robinson's the best long-term answer at the center spot. I think grabbing a young big like Jalen Duran, who has the promise of not just being a rim runner, not just being a physical presence on the interior, but also has shown some flashes of being a short role playmaker, a better passion to give him credit for, somebody who is improving on the shooting touch to space the floor. I think he could be a really nice get and could solidify that center spot for the New York Knicks to then get to the point where they can look to fill needs with potentially other stars down the line to help complement RJ Barrett at, at other positions. Um, what, what do you think about a potential Duran fit with the New York Knicks? I, I like Duran's fit. Um, I am a, I am a Mitchell Robinson truther. I, I think when he's healthy, <laughs> I think he's got uh think he's a little bit better than some people would like to give him credit for. Um, if you look at the advanced metrics, he always stands out. Um, but I'll say this, I mean, he has not been able to stay healthy the past couple of years. Um, I don't know if that's a long-term issue or just a short-term issue, but you know, I can understand the hesitation of giving him um, a considerable amount of money for New York. So I'm, I'm not against Jalen Dern. I have them actually taking Mark Williams here from Duke. So I think we're, we're kind of near the same mindset in terms of what um, New York is going to target. And certainly if Jalen Dern and Mark Williams are, are available to New York, I would think Dern would be New York's number one center if they go for that position do you think and and we'll talk about mark williams in a second but do you think the mark williams race is the the race between duran and mark williams in terms of who should be the first big off the board do you think it's a little bit closer than some people want to give credit for or do you think based on your evaluations duran is far and away the, the the better center prospect between the two i think it's a lot closer than people would think and I think <laughs> that they it's weird if they both could like somehow morph together, you'd have the number one pick. Um, you know, Duran has the offensive skills. Mark Williams is still developing there. And I don't know if he ever will be a you know huge score at the NBA level. But I also think that Mark Williams is a very good defensive player. I mean, I think he knows his strengths and weaknesses exceptionally well in an offensive system. So I, I really think Mark Williams is closer with Jalen Duran. I, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody has Mark Williams number one and Duran number two. I, I think it is that close. And I'm sure there's some draft group uh, that's in the NBA office right now that might have it that way. I, I think when people make it sound like Duran has this head and shoulders view over Mark Williams, I just I don't think that's factual. I, I agree with you 100%, and he's why he, he's going to go in my mock draft here very, very soon, but there's one more pick that I'm going to make before I would bring up Mark Williams again. That would be the Oklahoma City Thunder picking in number 12. I have the Thunder taking Jeremy Sohan. 
There's a number of directions that they could go. They could take a swing on the Frenchman, Usman Jang. They could take a swing on some of the other guards or, or wings available in this draft class. I think it, it, under my scenario, if you take Paolo Bencaro at number two, I don't think he's going to be a bad defender in the NBA, but I don't think he's going to be a great one. I think bringing in another defensive-minded force who can, again, keep the ball moving, help pass, help create for others, while also guarding multiple positions on the defensive front, possibly helping to cover up some of those warts that are going to be in Bencaro's game, at least for the few years in, in the league. I, I really like where that could go with having Sohan at number 12 with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's who I would take at this point in the mock if I were running. What do you think about the Sohan pick, the Oklahoma City match? Uh, I like it. I mean, um, I'm a huge Sohan fan. Um, I have him close to that. Uh, I actually have A.J. Griffin um, being picked by Oklahoma City here. You know, Griffin's such a hard guy to gauge because so much of what he did, um, part of it was inactivity. Part of it was, you know, just the circumstances, how he fit in the offense, you know, a little bit of injury concerns. Um, I think he's either a guy that you're going to take and you're going to look brilliant or he's a guy that you're going to take and you know, <laughs> you're going to have egg on your face. It, it wouldn't shock me either way it goes. And I think this I think Oklahoma City has the luxury of being able to, to cast the dice on a, on a prospect with that kind of, uh, out, you know, might potential outcomes. So both of those guys would be off the board. So we're, we're throwing out a lot of the same names here through the first 12 picks. I'm assuming at some point after pick 13, it could, could get a little crazy. We'll, we'll have to wait and find out, but at pick 13, we'll, we'll wrap up with some of the more quote unquote obvious names that we see going mocked everywhere near the top of the draft. And I'm pretty much in lockstep here. The Hornets need a big, they need one of the best bigs in the draft to fall to them. In this scenario, if Jalen Duran's off the board, then you go Mark Williams at number 13 with the Hornets. And there's been some ideas floated out there, Matt. You could go with one of the wings. You could go with a guard here to capitalize on the fact that you don't think the Cleveland Cavaliers would draft a big man at 14. You have the 15th pick. You could take a big then. But that also opens the door for the Cavaliers to possibly shop their pick for somebody who does want one of the bigs to move up to 14, gets that big man. The Cavaliers get some extra assets. They get to laugh at the Charlotte Hornets because they didn't just take the guy. I think in this scenario, I would take Mark Williams, just get, get the big man off the board. Then you can figure out which direction you want to go at 15. I, I, I'm assuming you're in somewhat of an agreement that if you're the Charlotte Hornets, you should probably take a big man with one of these two first round picks. I would agree. Unfortunately, in my scenario, I, I have the two best centers off the board. I think they go, <laughs> I think they go BPA, so I have Jeremy Sohan getting selected next. But but for, for a lot of the same reasons, right? Like Sohan, again, being one of these more versatile defenders at the forward spot, can defend on the wing. Like either way you go about it, he can be a transition guy. He can play defense for you. can cover a lot of ground, but the Hornets just simply not covered on the defensive end, at least over the last few years. So it's similar line of thinking. You're taking one of the best players available in terms of size and defensive impact. So very, very similar line of thinking, just different scenarios in terms of where we would go and how the draft would have unfolded up to this point. So then we get to Cleveland. Matt, there's been some interesting buzz that I saw today that – Usman Jang is really starting to be linked to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm -hmm. I made this mock draft before I saw any of that buzz, but I'm assuming that 
my reasoning, my outline for thinking this way and wanting to take him if I was manning that pick for the Cavs at 14, they have this really awesome jumbo front line that they made work this past year with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Lowry Markinen. You have Darius Garland, one of the most underrated point guards that we have in the NBA now. You can get everybody the ball at the spots they need it. Why not draft Jang, go for the absolute home run upside swing, put another freaking giant human being on the floor next to those three guys, a 6'10 wing who at his best can operate out of the pick and roll, can handle, can make plays for others, can shoot, catch and shoot, create his own shot, can sort of play that two guard spot. Why not try and draft and, and, and bring in the home run swing and just make your team absolutely ginormous at virtually every position on the floor? What do you think about the Jang fit for the Cavs and, and some of the buzz that's come out? Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that pick as well. Um, you know, he's he's probably the biggest lottery ticket left at this point in the draft. Um, and it's amazing to me because I remember when he initially, when I started initially watching him, um, which was, you know, January because he had such a putrid start. <laughs> I was yes, like, this did. guy's going to be next year. So much for him. I mean, he, I mean, for people who don't know, I, I'm sure it looks like Usman Jang has come out of nowhere, but I mean, he was one of French's best young talents came out of that vaunted program of, of uh, central, uh, what is it? Federal central that they have. Um, just an amazing prospect, but yeah, he really struggled in the first half of Australia. He started to put together some really good games towards the end of the season. seemed like he caught his wind. Um, and he's now one of those guys that I think if you take him, I think you almost have to take him late lottery because if he goes and, and you don't catch him and he, t- he develops even half of what he could be. Right. Yep. So what is half of what he could be? You could get a 15 point a game, 610 shooting guard that plays also small for it he's kind of got that paul george type feel to him but not i wouldn't say he's as athletic and as physical as paul george was coming out of fresno but he he's still learning his body i mean this kid is incredibly young uh but the potential is there and i i really like that fit for him in cleveland um i originally had malachi brandon there for cleveland i now it's funny i now moved jing into that that lineup there because i just I really liked, I kept saying to myself, I'm like, Jang seems to be catching steam. Um, And I think Cleveland is again, another team where they're, they're at a vital part. I mean, there's very few teams, right. That have to really live through the draft. I mean, you have Portland, you have the Utah jazz. I really believe Cleveland is that other franchise that really has to make sure that they get the most value they can from the draft. And I think they've built beautifully. I think this is the next piece that they do. And if Jang can be, half of what the he he could develop into you know they've got themselves really set and they got a really nice lineup and then you pair him with Darius Garland I think that's a beautiful fit if if Jang went even higher on draft night than what you and I are talking about in the scenario with him going at 14 let's say Portland falls in love with him at seven and New Orleans takes him at number eight. You and I aren't mocking him there, but I think you and I also respect his game for very similar reasons. We've thrown out the, the same type of Paul George comp. Now, obviously not a direct one-to-one comp, but I also see some of those similarities in their respective games. And there are some things that 
Jang does in the court that really reminds me of like a Paul George type of upside swing at the wing is it would that be one of those draft night surprises where you'd kind of look and you'd go I okay I I, I did not expect to see that coming or, or would you not be as surprised just given some of the steam he's been building and some of your evaluations would that kind of be like a you'd think it might be a little bit of a ballsy swing but not like an, an unprecedented yeah, it'd be ballsy to me. It'd be one of those picks where it's like, man, that GM's really all in. Um, but it wouldn't shock me. I mean, if Usman went as high as eight or, or you know, if he went top five, that would, I would, yeah, my face would go numb. But, uh, you know, eight, nine, I, I wouldn't be as shocked by that. I would say, man, that's really early. But again, the intrigue is so tantalizing. I could understand a team saying, you know what, I want to take a shot at this. Yeah, you and I are in 100% agreement there. So that that brings us out of the lottery, Matt. There are still plenty more intriguing picks that can be made. But that that wraps up the lottery. So I'll just review for everybody listening what I've done in this scenario. So I have Chet Holmgren, number one, to the Magic. Paolo Bencaro, number two, to the Thunder. Jabari Smith, number three, to the Rockets. Ivy to the Kings at number four. Keegan Murray to the Pistons at five. Johnny Davis to the Pacers at six, Dyson Daniels to the Blazers at seven, Shane Sharp to the Pelicans at number eight, Benedict Matherin to the Spurs at number nine, A.J. Griffin to the Wizards at 10, Jalen Duran to the Knicks at 11, Jeremy Sohan to the Thunder at 12, Mark Williams to the Hornets at 13, and Usman Jang to the Cavaliers at 14. That's the pick we just wrapped up with. So let's move through the rest of this first round mock. At number 15, Matt, this pick. I made this pick on my last mock draft podcast here on this feed. I thought that Corey and Rucker, my fellow no ceilings brethren, were going to look at me like I was absolutely batshit crazy for making this pick. But now all of a sudden, how the turntables, how the steam picks up for Mr. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. And boy, oh boy, now does he have solidified top 20 buzz could potentially sneak up into the late lottery. I think he'd be a great fit for Charlotte. And the, the argument that I've made on the last podcast, Matt, that I still think holds true is that with LaMelo Ball in the fold in Charlotte, with them searching for a veteran head coach who can get the most out of this young roster that they have, I think the pressure is going to be on Charlotte to start winning some basketball games because Ball is one of those young stars who could potentially be a trans- transcendent talent who really, really wants to start racking up wins to better, to better build out his brand. Pressure could be on in Charlotte. They got to nail both of these picks. I think if Mark Williams getting him with one of those picks in this scenario would be awesome to fill that center spot. Getting Jalen Williams with the other pick would just ensure that you're bringing in another wing who can play his position, who can defend up to a certain level in the NBA, who can handle the ball, who can play out of pick and roll, one of the better catch and shoot threats we have by the numbers in this draft class. He just checks a number of boxes while still offering some versatility that we're not seeing from some of these other wings that we could look at as we move into the later portion of this first round. So that's why, while this might be a little high or a little bit rich for some people's blood, I, I, I have Jalen Williams going here at 15 to the Hornets. That's who I would pick in this spot. Do you think this is a little too high for Jalen Williams, or do you think it's about just right in terms of what you would rate his stock to be at this point? No, I, I, I actually have him pegged pretty close i have him going 19 i believe um so no i don't i don't think it's it's out of the stretch and i I do i do definitely want to give 
you uh, some flowers. I mean, certainly you guys, you uh, and, and the rest of the No Ceilings crew seem to be very early on Jalen Williams. Um, and uh, I really believe in giving people their flowers. So, you know, kudos for that, because I can tell you, um, at least on my end, I did not have Jalen Williams on the first round uh, in my mock in, in you know, uh, March. I didn't have him there. I had him in the second round. Um, so, you know, again, hats off to you guys. You guys very early identified him as a guy that could make some noise. And, you know, I, I just think that just shows that, you know, you guys really um, are, are working really hard and, and, and really taking um, in inventory of, of how good players are. So, again, hats off to that. But, yeah, Jalen Williams is, is not a stretch here at 15. Um, you know, again, I, I think he's a guy, to your point, that has that maturity. Um, which is which is rare now for teams to get in in the draft, um, and I think he just knows how to score. He has that Paul Pierce type ability to just fill it up, and he knows he just. I've never seen him play a game where it's like, man, this is really bad. I mean, he took on Gonzaga. He, he's yep. he's always showed up. I mean, I I just really like him, and, and he showed up to the combine too, and he blew the doors off of everybody there. He looked like he belonged in the NBA, ready to play right away and that's why I just think from that perspective if you want to nail that pick I, I know what I'm going to get from Jalen Williams he might not have star upside but I think he has starter certainly starter potential at the NBA level at one of the most desired spots in the league which is at that wing position 6'5 with a 7'2 wingspan he's going to check a lot of boxes for you and I, I will take those kind words in stride, Matt, and, and thank you. I will not take all of the credit for that. I will I will redirect that credit to Tyler Rucker over at No Ceilings, who really educated us on Jalen Williams and, and his game. And it took me a little while to come around to moving him up because I hadn't done the deep film dive. But when I did, I was like, man, this dude is right. Jalen Williams belongs in the first round. And then you start to dig even deeper and deeper and deeper. And you, you hear the kid talk and Albert – over from the draft deck pot at No Ceilings, he just did an awesome interview with Jalen Williams. You hear the kids speak. You hear the type of personality that he has. I, I fall more in love with his case in the draft as the days go on. So that's why I have him as high as 15. At 16, the Atlanta Hawks. Speak, man, speaking of teams that need to nail this draft pick, if, if they make it, holy smokes. The Hawks, one year, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. The next, I mean, they're, they're not even close to sniffing where they were in the playoffs the previous year. So they, they really need to turn some things around. They got to take somebody who we know is going to come in and play. Ochai Agbaji out of Kansas is one of those wings. I think he'd be in an excellent position to help contribute right away with the Atlanta Hawks. He's a knockdown shooter. He's going to defend at least the two guard spot. He can guard some point guards, potentially guard up to the three. He's strong. He's built well. I like Ochai Agbaji for making an instant two-way impact for the Atlanta Hawks and just, being somebody that Trey Young can rely upon to, to knock down open shots and, and better help play some defense on, on the perimeter. What do you think about the potential of Abaji going to the Hawks? No, I like that. I, I actually had Abaji uh, right there in my 14, uh, June 14th mock. I kind of moved things around, and now I have Malachi Brandon going there. Um, I really think Malachi is another guy that could challenge for – Late lottery, depending. Why don't we on... talk about Malachi? Because I have him going next to the Houston Rockets at seventeen. So let's let's stop and talk about Malachi for a second. What are your thoughts? Uh, incredibly smooth athlete. Um, scores, you know, very smooth. Kind of reminds you of um, I'm trying to think of a player like 
it's it's really unusual that you get a freshman that comes in that does not have this high, you know, McDonald's all American background. And he comes in and he literally becomes at the end of the year, you know, Ohio State's, you know, best offensive player. I mean, we all thought it was going to be EJ Liddell's year. EJ Liddell, of course, still had a great year, but none of us, at least not me, let me speak for myself. I no, not, no, no, don't, don't, no, don't, don't. You can put me in the same camp as yourself, brother. I, I did not expect Brandon to, to rise as far on my board either so quickly. Yeah, I just think he's just an incredible shooter. I mean, every time I see him play, he just plays like a, a vet. He just, nothing is rushed. Everything is very smooth. Um, he just shoots in traffic, off the dribble. Everything is, is very smooth. If there is a part of his game that I do worry about the next level, it's getting complete separation from guys, being able to go into the basket clean. Um, those are things I do worry about. But just from the offensive side, um, you know, there's just a lot there to like. And I, and I think he's a guy that, you know, could challenge, like I said, for that anywhere between, I think, 12 to 14 and that, that late lottery part. I think teams will start looking at him. I agree 100%. I think if it wasn't for me moving Jang up my board a little bit to where I would want to take him in this scenario with the Cleveland Cavaliers for everything that I outlined, for a few weeks, Malachi Brandon, same line of thinking. He was also in that spot for me. And I think that having a guy who can give you offense as like a fourth option, but potentially give you enough offense to where he's putting up like 20 to 25 points on any given night, like if you're not paying attention to him defensively and you're not treating him like he could be one of those guys that goes off for a considerable amount of points, like he did at Ohio state many different times throughout the second half of the year, he's going to burn you. Even at the NBA level, he's going to find ways to burn you. He's crafty. He's smart. You mentioned some of the pull-up game. He gets up so high on that pull-up jumper. He's a catch and shoot guy, the spot up King, one of the best shooters and scores in this draft analytically and he's really young and he's only going to keep getting better at the NBA level. So I think Branham, if the Rockets could get him at 17, would they love him for his defense out of the gate? No, no, they wouldn't. But I still think Branham's going to get better defensively as his career goes on. That's a young team in general. So as they are still trying to figure out everything else around the team, as they build some of that chemistry as teammates and they grow together, I think having another guy who can go into the wall and get you 20 to 25 points like a Malachi Branham would be a good fit on that Houston Rockets squad, which brings us to the Chicago Bulls at number 18. I have Tari Eason going here to the Bulls. They need another combo forward, an athlete on the wing slash at that forward spot, somebody else along with Patrick Williams, especially if Pat Bull is potentially going to be injury prone or if they look to move him in a potential Rudy Gobert trade. There have been some of those rumblings. They could target another veteran to come in and help this Bulls squad. I think either way, they need to go size. They could go back up center. They could go forward spot. I think EJ Liddell will be another guy who I would throw into this conversation who I'll talk about in the second I have him mocked at 19 to the Timberwolves and Tari Eason would be the one off the board in this scenario. But even though Tari isn't one of my favorite players in this draft class, Matt, I still think his upside and what he could bring and how he could contribute to the Chicago Bulls, I think that would be a good pick for them to go in the direction, given how the bullets fall. What do you think about Tari at 18? And you can even talk about EJ Liddell a little bit at 19 to the Timberwolves if you want to. Yeah. Um, 
I have Tari going 17th, I believe, on my board. Uh, I like Tari a little bit more. Um, you know, there's things about his game, of course, that, you know, drive you crazy when you watch him <laughs> play. Um, you know, and there's, again, there's pieces that I think he's still putting together. I, I don't think he really understands really what his strengths are right now. I think he thinks he has certain strengths, but they're just not there yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's a, he's going to be a, a good fit there. Um, in terms of EJ Liddell, you, you know, listen, there's a rarity where guys, like I think when guys declare for the draft, I think sometimes part of them do it for branding. And I think part of them do it because they're really trying to get an idea of what they need to work on. And EJ Liddell is one of those guys that went last year, got feedback and yeah. really put in the work, really, yeah, did. really said, okay, what I got to do. And it reminds me of PJ Washington who did the same thing at Kentucky um, and Isa Liddell. I mean, the, the thing that impresses me the most about Isa Liddell is his ability to defend despite his height is incredible to me. It's just like, he, he really has exceptional timing. He, he, he has a really good idea of where guys are going to be on the, on the court. He recovers well. That defensive part doesn't get talked about enough, I think, because we, we're, we're just so intrigued with offense a lot of times. <laughs> Liddell really knows how to defend at that power forward position, and I think that's a rarity for guys, uh, especially in, in this part of the draft. Yep, the help side rim protection, the willingness to go out and, and switch and, and cover some ground on the perimeter, not the fleetest of foot, but another guy who understands angles. He understands how to position himself. He's a really good rebounder on both ends of the floor, can score on the interior, can stretch the floor, has an interesting post game. If even more of that can translate the NBA level, now he really has um, quite the interesting offensive package to work with. So I think the Bulls and the Timberwolves need those combo forward type of guys. And I think th those are the two guys who I would target if I was either of those two teams. And that's exactly how I have been falling in my scenario. Tari Easton to the Bulls and then EJ Liddell to the Timberwolves. At 20, the San Antonio Spurs are up, Matt. I have Jane Hardy going here at 20, really for the value at this point on my personal board. I have him. Um, very close to knocking on the door of that late lottery range. I believe I have him at 16. So this is too much value for me to pass up. If I'm the Spurs, if I have three first round picks, just go and get somebody else who can help this team long-term who still has upside as a scorer, potentially as a little bit of a pick and roll playmaker and facilitator. He's not going to give you a ton on the defensive end, but I think for all that he came in and didn't show in the first half of his year with the G League Ignite, he really did make some improvements in the second half of the year, along with all of his other um, guys that, that, that ended up coming into this draft with Dyson Daniels making significant second half of the year improvements. Um, Michael Foster was a consistent presence at certain points for that Ignite team, despite some of his warts. Marjan Beauchamp, who I'll get to a little bit later in this mock, showed some improvements. Jaden Hardy did get better, and he came into a situation where he was playing up against tough competition. He was playing against pros. It wasn't going to be pretty at the beginning, but man, did he have some highlight moments, particularly towards the end of that run in some of those exhibition games for the Ignite. So, Matt, I, I don't know where you're at on Jane Hardy. 
nowadays or if you think that pick to the Spurs is a good pick, a bad pick. But where, where, where are you at on the Hardy's evaluation nowadays? Where, where would you see him kind of going on draft night? Yeah, I, I loved Hardy coming out of high school. Um, I think he has that ability to just take over games when he gets hot. But man, when he gets cold, he gets ice cold. <laughs> and that is true. Of, yeah. And, and I don't remember in the last two years there being a more polarizing prospect than him. He, there's, there's people that love him, there's people that hate him, and there's people that are just like, nah, I really like him. I, I would say I love him because I do think he has that rarefied ability where he's like Cam Thomas, where like he can just get on. And when he's on, he'll, he'll shoot you out. You know, he'll take over the game, but he also has that ability to shoot you out of the game. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, you know, live and die situation with him. But I, yeah, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, three, four years from now, we might be asking, why did he go 20? You know, yeah. we, it, it, he's got that kind of talent. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I love his talent. I just, for some reason, he's very polarizing. Well, speaking of polarizing, then, then you're going to have a field day with pick number 21 on my mock draft. Speaking of polarizing perimeter talents, I have Bryce McGowan's going to the Denver Nuggets at 21. He's one of these guys. I have him top 20 on my board. I've been back and forth with him at different points throughout the year, but being back and forth in terms of how high I would have him amongst my first round grades, not asking myself the question, should he be drafted in the first round? I've kept him inside the top 30 all year long. And his scoring instincts, what he can do, putting the ball in the basket for somebody his age, six, seven, at that wing position, there are plenty of concerns. There are a number of red flags that, that you can talk about in your evaluation for why he could go in the second round as opposed to the first round, but I believe in the talent. I believe in following the BPA philosophy and taking a chance on a player who could really become something two to three years down the road. And in a situation like the Denver Nuggets have where they don't need a rookie to come in and contribute immediately right away out of the gate, they can afford to develop somebody over time. And if they develop somebody like a Bryce McGowan's man, they don't really have a lot of dynamic wings on the roster, depending on how you still view Michael Porter Jr., they they have plenty of guards. They have Nikola Jokic, and I'm sure that they can find another big man or two to continue to contribute behind him at the center spot. And they have support that they don't really have any dynamic wings. I think Bryce McGowan's could give them something at that position a few years from now that they don't have on the roster right now. Is this too high in your personal opinion to take a swing on somebody like a Bryce McGowan's? No, because I'm a I'm a McGowan's truther. I, yes, I, yes. I absolutely love the talent. Um, I don't know how anybody can watch the tape and tell me they don't see this amazing natural scorer who um, just makes moves that are just pro moves. Now, I'll give you, you know, to your point, there's a lot of red flags. We could talk about the team performance. We could talk about a lot of different things, right? Um. But let's take a look at somebody else who's challenging. So like Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Yes. They're kind of in the same board, but Blake Wesley is more of a safe pick. If you're talking about pure talent, Bryce McGowan's has way more talent in my eyes than Blake Wesley does in terms of just individual. Not saying that does not mean that Blake Wesley won't be better, but the intrigue, 
the bag. The offensive pure talent, I 100% agree with you. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's just, to me, when I watch Bryce McGowan's play, I've literally seen him do things, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that, that's a move. That's a pro move. The footwork. Just, the, the footwork that you can yes. talk about. That like no, no other prospect of his size at that wing spot in this draft, in my opinion, has the same footwork that Bryce McGowan says, being able to get downhill, go to those zero steps, make people miss, and then get to the basket, draw the contact. Like that, That's exactly what we're talking about, Matt, that pro-level scoring stuff that not a lot of guys have coming into the league, especially after their freshman year. Yeah, I just I, I'm I'm a big truther. So it, to me, I think he should be way more uh, discussed than he is in circles. And to your point, yeah, he is definitely polarizing, but not to me. I actually. <laughs> so so we can go into the 22nd pick. We'll we'll move through some of these picks a little quicker. I don't know how much deep dive analysis there is to do at the end of the first round. Still some interesting names. 22, the Memphis Grizzlies, I would have them taking Ty Ty Washington in this scenario. I think the Grizzlies do need another guard to be able to play that backup role. Should Tyus Jones ultimately walk out the door? I don't know if they're going to re-sign him and bring him back along with Kyle Anderson. They need another guy in there to be able to get reps and play a backup point guard spot, along with offering some offensive upside in terms of shooting, off-ball scoring. Should they want to play some of those really fun, interesting, smaller lineups where you still have another guard on the floor? next to or in between I should say a John Morant and a Desmond Bain Ty Ty Washington can be that guy he can shoot off the ball he can shoot on the move he can do a lot of fun things for you offensively is competitive on the defensive end maybe doesn't have that ultimate starters level upside of a guard in my opinion but can still be one of those really awesome backup guards for you and can play potentially starters caliber minutes that's who I have at 22 and then 23 for my hometown Philadelphia 76ers I have talked myself into this fit there was one point where I was rooting for Blake Wesley speaking of Blake Wesley we'll talk about him a little bit later but I was rooting for him to potentially go in this spot to Philly at 23 should they be the ones making that pick given the situation with the swap stuff between them and Brooklyn but they are going to make the pick this year I talked myself into Dale and Terry and the reason why I talk myself into Dalen Terry is those defensive chops that he has at 6'7 on the perimeter was showing enough upside to be a guy who can get downhill and, and hopefully one day finish better around the basket, who, who can shoot from the outside, albeit he didn't do it at volume, but he was able to shoot from the outside. He can handle the ball. He can pass. He can make other guys better. And he's a low mistake low turnover player to help complement some of those other young guys that they have who are still developing in Jane Springer. And then we obviously know what Tyrese Max is going to be for that team in the long term. So just given what they need more of, they need guys who can switch and guard one through three, and they need better passing from that guard spot. They need reliable shooting, which I do think Dale and Terry will be a reliable shooter a few years from now. He, to me, seems like an awesome defensive fit next to Jane Springer in the long term and next to Tyrese Maxey. What, what do you think about my choice, Dale and Terry, at 23? Would you go a different direction? Or can you kind of see what I'm trying to put together with him at 23? No, no, I definitely see it. I mean, he does a lot of things that I think Philadelphia would love to have. Um, I think the one part, you know, that, that Dale and Terry really makes people – salivate is this idea that he can 
that he's because I don't think he's really touched it yet. I think what we're seeing on tape is just his natural instincts. He's a tremendous. Well, I don't like to say tremendous. That might be too too exorbitant there for me to say. But he's definitely a very very good passer. He definitely creates for for guys. Um, and there's been so much of that. As a matter of fact, some people have actually stated they they could see him at point guard. I wouldn't go that far, but. I really believe in, in, in his ability to create for guys. I think you pair him with a maxi, you, you really got something special there. He finishes in traffic. There's a lot of things I like with Dale and Terry. And, and I, yeah, I could see Philadelphia um, picking him. So let's run through picks 24 through 30 really quick on my board, Matt. And I'll, I'll ask you if any one or two of these picks particularly stands out to you. So I have 24 of the Milwaukee Bucks. I can see them going with a combo forward, taking a swing at somebody like a Nikola Jovic. At 25, I think the San Antonio Spurs just need to take one of the better wing talents available. And Marjan Beauchamp is one of the best transition wings, if not the best. In my opinion, in this class has some shooting upside and will compete defensively. I like him and his athletic talents fitting the Spurs at 25, 26. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, but at the same time, Patrick Baldwin still makes some sense with Houston, a low-pressure situation. They're not going to be expected to win right out of the gate. Let him develop some of his areas that he, he wasn't so proficient in at Milwaukee in college, and let him be one of those standstill knockdown shooters at 6'10". Let him bring some of that floor spacing to a team in Houston that will desperately need catch-and-shoot guys the further this team gets in its development at 27, the Miami heat. I have Blake Wesley going here again, BPA, in my opinion, still left on the board. I would love Blake Wesley developing in Miami behind some of those competitors. I think he would fit that heat culture really well. And at that combo guard spot, he would bring them something in terms of defense that I don't think the team has right now to be able to compete for the future 28, the Golden State Warriors, the rich can keep getting richer. Give them Kennedy Chandler, the backup point guard out of Tennessee. I, he has potential starters upside. If anything happens with Steph, we've seen him have some injury problems at different points in his career. If he goes down, Kennedy Chandler is one of these guys I think is going to be a spot starter, somebody who you can call upon to play big minutes in the future. And just a, a, a proven NBA commodity, in my opinion. He may not possess all the upside in the world, but he stands out to me as one of these guards. I know what I'm going to get from him for years to come. Could prove to be one of the best backup point guards in the NBA down the road. And then at 29 and 30, the Grizzlies and the Nuggets, they can take two upside swings here with their respective picks. So I have Max Christie going to the Grizzlies at 29, can develop the long rangey six, six wing shooter who has shown some defensive upside, who has shown some on ball upside in terms of getting into the paint, going into that floater game can certainly keep growing into his body, develop physically and be brought along slowly because they have so many different pieces in Memphis. And then 30 Jake Moravia to the Denver nuggets. I mentioned that they could use, they could use some wing depth and they could use a little bit of forward slash big depth. Jake LaRavia, albeit not a true big, can still play that forward spot, more of that combo forward, that 4-3, who is instinctual. He's really smart. He processed the game at a high level. One of the best cutters that we have in this draft, you know, Nikola Jokic would like to feed him the ball on some of those cuts, can be a potentially lethal shooter on the perimeter in catch-and-shoot situations. I think he would complement a lot of what Denver's doing on offense so well that they could live with some of the potential defensive faults that they have 
if they give him minutes at the NBA level, but I'd love his promise on the offensive end long-term. So again, I'll just run through it one more time, Matt. 24, the Bucks, Nikola Jovic. 25, the Spurs, Marjan Beauchamp. 26, the Rockets, Patrick Baldwin. 27, the Miami Heat, Blake Wesley. 28, the Golden State Warriors, Kennedy Chandler. 29, the Memphis Grizzlies, Max Christie. And number 30, the Denver Nuggets would take Jake LaRavia in my GM-style scenario. Any one or two picks that stand out to you based on what I did? Uh, I actually like love. I'm not, not going to say like. I love the last two picks. I'm a huge Jake LaRavia guy. I really like what I've seen on tape with him. Um, the ability to create, take guys off the dribble. Um, I just think he's going to create some really good mismatches at the next level. Um, and Max Christie. I think Max Christie is so um, tantalizing. I mean, he has a lot of that, I want to say, C.J. McCollum type flow to his yep. game a little bit, but he just hasn't put it all together yet. Um, defensively, he looks better. Um, than CJ did at Lehigh. Uh, he has better instincts, I think. Um, so I really like Max Christie. I really like Jake LaRavia. I think those are guys that when we look back at this draft, we might say, man, that those were great picks there. I really think those type of guys, and Max Christie right now, I think most people have him pegged in the second round, and I understand that. But um, he's a guy that I really think, based on some of just some of just reading the tea leaves and just seeing how he's moved in this draft, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody said gave him a promise because, um, man, he just really he stands out on tape and just really from the way he's moved in this draft, I just feel like somebody told him something because he's just <laughs> operating with a lot of confidence. Hey, boss, we 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 are Max Christie fans over here in No Ceilings. I I do not have him that high on my board, but there are some among us. I, I just had to put our last composite board together. There are some among us who have him inside the top 20 on their board. So we, we would be in agreement. Max Christie should go in the first round. We all think there's not, not that we are reporters and no ceilings, but we, we get some Intel every now and then we do think there's been enough buzz around to where we think Max Christie would absolutely go in the first round on draft night. We'll see where he goes. I think one of these teams that have multiple first round picks can absolutely afford to take a chance on somebody like him. Is there anybody who didn't go in the first round mock draft that I put together who you think will ultimately go in the first round on draft night. Anybody who could stand out to you that you're like, Nate, maybe you should have put this guy in the first round of your mock. I don't think there's anybody you sh like should have put in the first round, but I think, uh, for example, I think Walter, uh, Walker Kessler will go in the first round. I just think with the, just the, the way that teams are so need size, I think he, he'll, he'll go. Um, Maybe Kendall Brown, I could see, or Christian Brown from uh, Kansas. I could see one of those guys maybe uh, getting in the first round buzz there. Um, talk about how the mighty have fallen. I mean, Kendall Brown first <laughs> the year was, you know, top 15 pick. And Jeremy Sohan literally flip-flopped with him. And it's amazing to see. Um, I personally would have liked to see Kendall Brown go back to school, but that didn't happen. Um, and just, you know, I think the most weirdest thing of this whole draft, and I, I'd love to get your view on this. Yes. Oh, Caleb Houston promise thing that came out, you know, like a month ago. It was like, I just could never buy into it. I just, I don't, I don't see how that could even be factual. So a little bit of a spoiler warning. Um, we, we did put together a predictions mock draft and no ceilings that we will release on draft day. 
And just a little bit of a spoiler, a little tease from that, we do have Caleb Houston going in the first round as far as our predictions because we do buy into the promised buzz. And I thought I thought about putting him in the first round in this mock draft, Matt, but I just come back to I'm in the same camp as you. At this point, I do not have a first-round grade on him. I have him in the 40s on my board. So if I'm crafting this mock draft GM style, this is what I would do if I were in charge of making every single pick based on how the board falls, how the draft board falls, I would not take him in the first round. So that's why I do not have him going here. I'm, I'm along your line of thinking that he probably got a promise. We'll find out in a few years if that was a smart promise or not. We'll see where he goes on draft night, but but to your line of thinking, I would not take him in the first round. That's why he didn't end up in the first round on this mock draft. But a, a, a good name to throw out there at the end of this podcast because it is something that fans need to be aware of on draft night that could absolutely happen. So, Matt, this was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad that I had you on to run through the first round how I would do the first round mock draft if I were making all of these picks. Um, and I'm glad that you and I didn't have too many disagreements. We're along a similar line of thinking. And I am glad to hear that because you're somebody who I look up to in the community, Matt, you do a lot of good work. You put in the time, you put in the effort to get better and educate people on all of these prospects on past drafts. And it's interesting to just get perspective from somebody like that. As I said last year, in terms of how the draft can actually fall on draft night and you you've seen a lot you've studied a lot so generally your line of thinking is a good one to follow in terms of how all this could actually play out so i appreciate you coming on the podcast matt one more time for my audience everywhere that they can find you everywhere they can find the work that you do consistently throughout the year because you do a lot of it and i appreciate you coming on oh thank you so much man i really appreciate it so such kind words uh i really 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 uh appreciate that um, you can find my work at thedraftview.com. I'm also on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I, I'm on occasional podcasts, you know, and I, I talk this thing that we all love. I'm in the process of writing a book uh, about the NBA draft history that will be available in bookstores. Uh, hopefully next year, I'm almost, almost done. And then um, I also have an NBA draft museum that I'll be doing as well online. So, Big things ahead and um, really appreciate, as usual, you uh, being gracious with your time and, uh, and your platform. Thank you so much. And thank you, most of all, to everyone out there listening to this episode of the podcast. If you aren't subscribed to the Draft Deeper podcast, make sure you are. Wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. And most of all, Make sure you're following the No Ceilings Collective on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and you're subscribed to our written substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. Still more content coming before the draft, plenty more coming after the draft. And one last PSA I got my merch in, at least the first half of my big ass merch order from No Ceilings NBA.BigCartel.com. I promise you want to cop this stuff. It looks great on you. It feels good to wear it. The shirts are soft. I can confirm all the positive reviews I've heard already. You want to get this stuff in your arsenal, in your wardrobe. Definitely go check out our merch. And there's still time to purchase the digital copy of our No Ceilings NBA Draft Guide. 
Trust me, you want to read through, you want to see who are the 58 guys we wrote about, we gave our thoughts, our strengths, our weaknesses, our breakdown, our shades of everything you would want to know about these prospects is not only in our written work online in our Substack, but also in our draft guide. So make sure no silliesmba.bigcartel.com. You check out all the merch we have, the draft guide, everything you can do to help support us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. But until we meet again on this podcast platform, on No Ceilings TV, where we'll be doing our YouTube live stream on draft night. Until we meet again on those fronts, I thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.